Hey everybody, it's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama, by way of little old Glasgow, New Jersey. You know it, right here on BlackShipRadio.com. I'm so glad to be with you guys today, and I hope that you all have had an amazing, wonderful, fantastic week, because I have, you know, God is good and everything is blooming, so it's all good, right? So listen, here's the thing. I ain't got time to sit and chit and chit chat and smile with y'all today because I have some guests that are coming on the show today that are just absolutely mind-blowing. The conversation is just like, you know, so off the charts. I am meeting today with um, the president and treasurer of SMAP, the um, Society of the Amigos of the Afro-Antiliano Museum. I always get it mixed up. They'll break it down to you, but it's the West Indian Museum, uh, the organization that helps to support that uh, museum to make sure it stays a part of Panama history. And um, we have the president, Arcelio Hartley, and the treasurer, Marcia Henry, um, talking to us today about some amazing events and uh, commemorations that they have coming up in August. And just telling us a little bit about SMAP and how you can be a part of this amazing, amazing organization that um, represents and celebrates an amazing um, people who contributed so much to Panama. So I'm not gonna keep you, we're going to um, go ahead and get right into, we're going to get right into it. We're going to get right into this conversation right now. And hear what I say? So I'm going to get them on the line. You know the deal. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Little Old Glassboro, New Jersey. Hang on tight. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama. And I'm coming to you today to make sure that you know about our new Black Expats in Panama community platform. That's right, our BEEP community platform, or BCP. That can be found at blackexpatsinpanama.net. Just click on that link that says join the community. There you will find businesses, groups. As members, you'll be um, privy to events, you can have you can sell things with the classified um, section. You'll get exclusive information offering and interviews. You get discounts on Black Expats in Panama meetups and tours and ITA global um, events as well, and so much more. So go over there, check out the membership, see which one is right for you, and let us know if you have any questions. Thank you. Marcelio and Marcia, how you doing? Doing great. Doing how just are you? great. Doing really well, really well, Sharat. Good to see you. Good to be with you. It's always good to be with you. And you know, I, I just don't think that people know the special place that Samap has for me and my heart personally. And I'll tell you why. Did you know why? Did you know why it's so special to me? No, I did not. I do not know. Okay. That's why I love doing these shows, because we get to learn so much about each other, because sometimes we don't sit down and talk in a focused way. But let me tell you what had happened. I used to come here. I've been coming to Panama since 2004. 
because Alfredo is my my husband is um Panamanian and I started coming here. It was my first international trip, really. And um my first international trip that required a passport. Back in the day, they used to let us go to Jamaica <laughs> and certain places without it. But anyway, I came to Panama. And I fell in love with Panama, but not in the same way that I am now. I love Panama, but I wasn't like, I want to move here at all. There wasn't nothing like that. But I'm going to tell you something. Over the years coming here, because it was a family environment, I just came and did family things. You know, I guess I wasn't that savvy to like look on the internet. You know, the internet wasn't as on and popping, you know, back in the early 2000s as it is now took me a lot of years to connect with the Black culture in Panama. And the first connection I had to the Black culture, for real, for real, in Panama was Samat. And I found Samat through Carmela Goburn, the Panama Cyber News. That's how I found out about, you know, the the Black movement or the the um, uh, Afro-Panamanian culture here and that it was a thing, you know? And so SMAP was my first introduction. And um, I just think learning how, you know, uh, Panamanians, um, the Caribbean, people from the Caribbean came and built the canal and everything coming from a perspective of just a commercial understanding. That's not what they taught me at the Panama Canal. And I was so mesmerized by the history and so taken by the fact that we have to go out of our way to be told about our history or the history and contributions of Black. So SMAP started me on my journey of doing everything that I'm doing today in Panama. So I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great, great, great. Good to hear. So let me start by um, allowing you all to introduce yourself and then um, give us a brief overview of um, Samat. Um, so let's go ladies first and start with Marcia. That's right. Yes. Well, good afternoon. This is I'm Marcia Henry, and I am currently the treasurer for Samat. I've been a member for, I don't know how many years, but it's been a while. And... I do enjoy going to the museum, you know, go to the office. And um, I do quite a bit. I've held several positions within some, not on the board, this is my first time on the board, but I was um, the elections chair one year. And then um, by default, I ended up chairing a committee to honor the past presidents. Because I thought it was going to be just that piece, but then I ended up, okay. see how he's smiling. See how he's smiling there. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of my history with with Summer. Well, thank it's God with, with, with nonprofit organizations. Thank God for people that say yes, you yes. know, and just rise to the occasion. Thank you for that introduction, uh, Mr. Hartley. Well, you know, I, I consider myself to be a youth in Samap, okay. even with my 72 years yes. of age. I only started in Samap within the last 20 years. I did not know of the organization before that. Uh, I got introduced to Samap because as a Panamanian manager in the ACP, uh, Samap in its Conozca Su Canal celebration, which is what we're gearing up to do now, 
-hmm. in 2003, they elected to honor me as they selected me as one of the honorees uh, because of the work that I've been doing in the canal. So it was my first exposure to some app as a whole, but I, I was exposed to, you know, it was a, a blast because I was involved in going to the Romeria back and uh, some of the other activities they had during that week. I had to, I was the, I was tasked to be the canal speaker for some app at the Romeria. And then, of course, then I had to participate in a gala. So I became then aware of this organization and what it was doing. And I thought it was just a magnificent thing. Uh, we did not have, I did not know of many Black organizations in Panama that was doing that type of support and promotional work. And so I decided to jump on board, you know, and uh, I gave a donation, became right off the, the bat, became a lifetime member somehow. And I began to uh, to support in many ways what they were doing and slowly got involved, started going to the meetings and um, became over the years, became much more and more involved. And I have been on the board um, for, well, for at least over the last maybe 10 years, at least I've been on the board in various positions. And uh, uh, before um, I had been uh, actually nominated for, to be the president, I think it was back in um, 2017 or 18, somewhere back there, 16. Uh, 16, in fact, it was in, no, 17, I was supposed to have been nominated for the presidency. And uh, but my wife got sick. Wife got ill and uh, had to go into uh, surgery and all sorts of things. And I, I just backed away from the presidency. And uh, actually, that year, Melva picked it back up. Uh, she had been president twice before, and uh, or three times before, and she picked it up. So I, I was on the board anyway, but in a in a in a minor position. And then uh, we, when we came back after that period or, or two years, I decided. Well, I sort of owe it to organization. They had been requesting, and so I became president in 2020. Of course, we're. That's the uh, time that we're being struck with the with the COVID conditions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which made things change dramatically. Right. Um, Samap had been an organization that had been uh, meeting at the museum for you know forty years almost, and we had to start doing this on Zoom. So that's where I became involved. I, I jumped in. I became president two thousand twenty, two thousand twenty one, and then I was reelected again in uh, 2023 for another two years. So I'll be president in 2023-24. So SAMAP started in 1980, correct? Was it 1980? SAMAP started actually in March of 1981. Okay. The museum, the museum was uh, inaugurated in December of 1980. And SAMAP was an organization that uh, started up almost a part of the, uh, the person, the government, um, director of the culture back then, Reina Torres de Arauz, who was the one who decided to make this church turn it into a museum. She did a wise thing also and approached members in the community and tried to get them to become support agents for the museum, mm -hmm. recognizing that in many ways and over the years, the government tends to start but not finish. 
And so um, they, Samapos organizes a, a support agency that would sort of stand by there and to ensure in some ways that the government did what it had to do, but if they failed to step in and do what was necessary to be done. And so um, it has been doing that for the last 42 years. That was ingenious. So the, the, the museum, the West Indian Museum, is a government entity. It is. And, and, and it's good that we make an emphasis on that because okay. over the years, there's a lot of folks would tend to believe that the museum belongs to Samaa. And I must say what Samat means, it's a Society of Friends of the West Indian Museum of Panama. And that's the acronym in Spanish. So because of the involvement and the intense participation, and they're always there. In fact, um, Samat, as, as a promotional venture, does two large-scale large activities. They have a cultural fair that's done at carnival time. And then they have the gala celebration in, in August. And that fair used to be carried out on the grounds of the museum in the, in the patio area. And so folks tend to relate that, well, th this museum belongs to Samara. It's not. It actually belongs to the government. But um, we have been uh, a support arm for all these years and have done tremendous contributions to maintaining that museum open. In fact, of the some, a oh, little over 20 something museums that the government has throughout the country, um, well, there are 20-something to come to. There are supposed to be 19 or, or, or 20 government uh, museums. Um, I don't think there, it, I, there probably may be six of them that are currently open. And of yeah. those that have been there since some up, since the, the, the West Indian Museum was instituted, ours is probably one of the, probably only three that have remained permanently open for all those 40-something years. Wow. Uh, the others are closed. Uh, the largest ones we have are closed. They're doing re remodeling. They've been closed for many years. And so this uh, this support work that SAMAP has done has been key and instrumental in maintaining the, the museum open. It was closed in 2017 for, uh, oh, maybe about 10 months, actually, because they were doing structural uh, repairs, renewal of the building interior and exterior. And uh, that's the only time in that 40 year period that the museum has been closed. Wow. Also, I have that back in the day, we also did an Easter sunrise service on yeah. the grounds of the museum. And that was very, very well attended, but yes. so many things have changed that we don't, you know, we don't do anything on the ground anymore. Right. So, I, I mean, I think that that's very, um, very important to point out. Um, I think it's very important to point out because that really just really um, ex really magnifies the importance of having an organization behind this um, um, government entity to make mm -hmm. sure that it keeps going. So, you know, imagine, and, and a lot of people who are listening, you know, I have probably visited the museum, you know, hopefully if they haven't, they will now. And if you see how, you know, well it's kept, um, see how they have creatively taken what was the original church, right? Mm -hmm. The church built by the diggers um, and the West Indians um, in Panama in the early 1900s, correct? It's the church was built in 1910. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's a Christian mission church, originally a Christian mission church. 
And uh, in over the years, of course, as the population or the West Indian population declined, it uh, became somewhat abandoned. And that's when the government stepped in and decided to rescue the building and make use of it. And I think it was an outstanding decision. Yes, I do too. I do too. And, you know, like I said, I um, I appreciate Samat for introducing me to the history and, and the contribution. So, we're Question, were you able to, I'm Go sorry, ahead, I'm sorry. were you able to um, visit, remember you were at the museum and I want to say thank you for bringing your folks to the museum and also doing the donations because mm-hmm. she does a donation every time she comes. So we thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And I had mentioned with Pueblito, which is a an area for the July. I don't know if that day you were able to visit the place and it has um, like relics of prior how some of the buildings looked back in the day and also a church. So I don't know if you were able to. Yes, to go we there. do. We actually visit there okay. now. And because they also have other replicas of, exactly. of homes like from Bocas and different places. And so, yes, we, we were able to thank you for introducing me to me, Pueblito, because we are able to visit there. And but I, I still think that even with me, Pueblito, and I like me, Pueblito, you the the church, uh, the museum. I, I still think has been very creative in using that space to tell the story. So the difference at Mi Pueblito is that you have the, the replica, which is, which is great because you go in and you see it as the church that it was. But how, you know, Samap and his volunteers and, you know, the government have been able to take the original building and break it up into different areas of life experienced by the diggers, I think is what makes it very special. I think that's what makes it makes it the museum as opposed to the, the replica. And so they, I think that both places have their value. Right. Um, and with the SMAP, I think it's very interesting. And, and I think coming there, uh, bringing my first big group there, um, I brought my first big group in 2020. And one thing that I noticed was that some of us don't realize the Caribbean backgrounds that we have, the West Indian backgrounds. People came in and they were like, they start thinking, you know, where was my grandmama from? (laughs) Where was she from? Because they saw so many things that they could connect to their own childhood, you know, and that was special. And and that leads me to mention, uh, uh, Charlotte, that, you know, over the years, prior to my getting involved in it, especially at the presidential level, Samap would, ex- would express their mission, the reason for being as an organization to raise funds to maintain the museum. <clears throat> and while that had its value, I believe, in, you know, for, for all the years before, when I came, I pushed for them to express it differently our mission is really to preserve our history and to promote our mm-hmm. culture. And we do that through the museum, but the museum yeah. is not the end of all that we do. So as we, as we work with the museum, we're trying to get that. We're trying to get folks to make sure that historical connection is maintained, that that historical contribution is preserved. We don't want people to forget what we did here. You know, it's some, something like the Gettysburg Address. Uh, people would, past and times will pass, but nobody's supposed to forget what we did here. 
That's what it's all. You know, living in a day where, especially in the United States, you know, people are so aggressively trying to erase history, yes. you know, making it illegal. Tip, you know, I mean, basically making it illegal to teach mm -hmm. certain areas of yeah. history. This is when you know that you know that you know this is so important. That's it is. Saying. This is so important. Nowadays, with the internet, it's not as easy to just wipe things off of the face True. of the earth. So the things that are happening are being documented, even, you know, as we're doing this video, somebody will right. be watching this 20 years from now. That's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But, but how you, how you put that is very important. And I think it was a, a, a strategic and a very wise recommendation um, for Samat because, you know, just raising money is one thing. Yeah. yeah, saving and and maintaining um and preserving legacy mm -hmm. of our ancestors who have paved the way for us is something completely different. That takes you on a whole nother level. So I I appreciate that. Um, you know, we're going to talk about what's happening in August. Okay, and and by the way, guys, I will be selling tickets for the gala. So you know, holla at your girl. But I want to say this, okay, I want y'all to talk to me about the events that happen that are going to take place in August, the reason for them. And then I want to just say how excited I am to experience, I've been to the gala once and I've been to the pilgrim, pilgrimage once. And I'm so excited because now I'm going from a different perspective. I've learned so much since the first time that I've gone, I've become a real Panamanian baby. <laughs> Y'all not getting rid of me. You understand? <laughs> we don't want to. I love Panama. And so I'm so excited just to see how I receive it and what I learn. And every time I come to Samap, I learn something different, you know, and I'm so excited. So, um, Marcia, you want to start telling us about the August events? Okay. Well, we start with uh, a, a church service on Sunday, and and that's going to sure be what, and that's on what is that the August seventeenth? What day is that? Thirteenth. That's the thirteenth. So Sunday the thirteenth. Church service starts the thirteenth. Y'all heard that? Church <laughs> the thirteenth. <laughs> okay. It's a local church, and. I think Monday, I might have not have everything in order, but we also do a program at a local school. Cool. And um, we do the that pilgrimage. That would be on Monday. Monday. Okay. We do the pilgrimage. And the program at the local West. school is this narrating history or? Pretty there, much it, talking it, about. They, they have done different things. Let me just uh, uh, add to that. They've done, over the years, they've done different things at the schools. Mm -hmm. This particular incense, they're getting the classes involved in in putting up uh, murals and in probably putting up uh, talks. So the students are going to be involved in doing things that will project to the canal construction. They want them to be able to capture the history. So that's what we're all about. So far, I'm telling you, probably the most important thing is what happens at the school. 
at that level. Because like Arcelia said, you know, he's a baby. He's a baby. Thank you. We have to keep, we we have to keep the we, we have to keep people engaged so that they can continue to tell the story like the ones that have gone on before us. So that that that's interesting. And getting them involved into doing murals, that's awesome. Yes. And they do get excited. They get excited about yes. it. But I'll let Marcia continue with the rest of the Okay. Well, what I remember. So <laughs> then we have the pilgrimage, on the, the pilgrimage on the 17th. That's a free event. And we are supposed to be having two boats because it's three. a very large group. Three boats this time. Oh, three. three boats. Because last count, I think we had 82 folks attending. So three boats. And we... Um, have balloons. We have three color balloons. I don't know if I need to go into that kind of detail, but each balloon, the color represents a different group. And we'll release those balloons. We also release petals in the in the lake for our ancestors. And then with the balloons, we're thinking about having folks call out the names of their ancestor that actually worked the canal. So I think that will be probably very emotional for 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 the, for the people. And um, the gala is Before on Sunday. Not... By that pilgrimage. Before we pass by that pilgrimage, okay. I, I, I want a little better. I, I want people to understand. I don't know that. I mean, I, I think that we're talking in a way where we might be assuming that people understand what it's about. But I need a, a more in-depth, you know, I want to talk more in-depth about that. Let, let, let me add something to that then, uh, okay. Charlotte, if I may. Um, the pilgrimage is actually a memorial service. It's okay. a religious memorial service mm -hmm. in which we go out and we are remembering and honoring those who died prior, especially those who died during the construction of this great um, engineering uh, marvel. Feet. And mm -hmm. uh, we're so we're, we're reaching out to remember them. We want folks to remember that there were people who came labored, uh, mm -hmm. worked hard, gave their lives. I mean, or in fact, they, they didn't come to give their lives, but many of them actually died in that construction in order that this, this uh, project could succeed. Mm -hmm. So we go out and it's a, it's a, it's a very um, touching memorial service. And um, it, it, to the point that um, and I will recall last year when we did it and we had invited uh a pastor to be the speaker at the event. We always have a pastor that would bring a mm -hmm. religious message. And this young man, it's a young man, without anybody realizing or didn't know that this would happen, but when he began to speak, he says, you know, this is so emotionally meaningful for him because his grandfather, who had worked in the construction of the canal, was actually lying in the depths of that water. His grandfather wow. had died in that construction period. Wow. And of course, never was rescued. He's under there. And wow. so it was impacting to hear that and to see that how folks still connect with that past. It's the first time he has been that close to where his grandfather may be laying. Wow. And uh, so it, it's a, it's an emotional uh, uh, time. And uh, that's the, the whole gist of it. We're going, we're honoring the past, but, um, and over the years, uh, this evolved 
they started out doing the petals and they would put the petals, throw petals in the water and basically kind of call out names and names of anybody that you remember that might have been in the past, part of this era. But in the last, uh, in the last, uh, I think it's maybe over the last 10 years, 10, 12 years or so, that one of the members, in fact, one of the members that was the original uh, sponsor of the idea of doing this pilgrimage, uh, Cedric Gittins, he, um, he came up with the idea of doing the balloons. And so he introduced these balloons that the idea was to release the balloons and we have different colors, black for those who have died, um, red uh, for the ones who are working now, the ones that are, their blood is, 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 is there twining now, and then green, which is a hope for those who will come in the future. And so we're releasing these three colored balloons with those significance in that. And so while you may release a black balloon and call somebody who is gone, you may release a red balloon and call somebody who's working now. Okay. And you release a green balloon, you may call some grandchild of yours and would hope that eventually he may come and be a part of this workforce theory. You know? Or she. So it's all that. He or she. <laughs> he or she. <laughs> <laughs> That that's awesome. I'm not that's sure what else I'm 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 missing. Um, and then there's a gala, which is there, 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 there on Wednesday on Wednesday, Marcia. There is the um, we're having uh, uh some documentaries with mm -hmm. um, oh. with uh is Professor. That um, it's it's going to be at the, uh, the the auditorium in the university campus. Uh -huh. And this is with um. Geraldo Maloney, who has done several documentaries, he likes to do documentaries on jazz and, and calypso. And so it's going to be a chambo jazz uh, session where we will talk about that history of these folks who came and developed that kind of music. And then we'll see these documentaries he has, he has um, made in the past. So it's going to be quite um, quite a good experience, I think, uh, because I have seen the documentaries and having him present to talk and, and to be able to answer questions is going to be, I think, uh, a rich moment for those who would go to that as well. That's going to be on the Wednesday. Okay. We're also showing um, a documentary of the apprentices. Yes. And that yes. is what they. That's on Tuesday. Friday. That's on Friday. Friday. The apprentices. Yes. The were, yeah, he can explain because he worked there. Because the, the Panama <laughs> Canal had an, an apprenticeship, apprenticeship program that was instituted back around in the 1960s when they finally were breaking down the barriers and allowing our groups, our Black West Indians, to be able to come into the canal workforce and work in these capacities that had been totally reserved only for whites. In prior to that, if you came in and you were in the, in the, the mechanical fields, you could only be a helper. You could not be the electrician. You could not be the machinist. You could not be the pipe fitter. You could not hold any of those craft positions. And so when they got the treaty signed between Eisenhower and Ramon back in the 55, I guess it was, part of that treaty broke that barrier and they had to open up these positions. And so when they did, because the canal was still very prominently in English, the ones who could adapt more to that entry uh -huh. were the West Indians. Yes. And so the flood of those who came into those positions at that time were West Indian descendants. Uh -huh. 
Very good and information. So the, the, the documentary that we have developed, we interviewed several of those, some of them who were there from the very beginning, some who came afterwards, but it's them telling their stories about the, some of them even had some hardships, the hardships and the pains that they may have suffered, but eventually the, the successes that they all enjoyed as they got into this workforce. Were you a apprentice? I was. Wow. I, I was. And that's how we have the history of the gold roll and the silver roll. Mm -hmm. Because the gold roll was what the whites made, and then the silver roll was what the Caribbeans made. And I think that was like 10 cents an hour, if my, my, my memory serves me correctly. Compared to Compared to, I think, 25? Well, yeah, because when, when they started the construction, um, it was at least two, maybe two and a half times to one what they paid the uh, the, the Blacks. Of course, the Blacks were employed, those that came from the Caribbean, like Marcia just mentioned, were employed to do the menial tasks, the See. digging, the shovels, and all that. Um, but they also were forced to train them. They, they needed to run machines to, to to put, you know, dynamite in. And eventually they they took them or were able to do that. And some of them came also. We must not uh, 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 forget that some of them did come as men. They were brick uh, masons and they were carpenters. And they came and they were employed in those positions. But even while they worked in those positions, uh, they were not paid comparatively the same as the whites. Okay, so we need to we need to back up just for a second. Yes. Because she brought up the gold roll and the silver roll. Okay, there are people that don't know don't understand that. That don't understand that that was the the that was the United States contribution to Panama. That was their their answer. It was it was the Jim Crow. Right. using gold and silver as opposed That's to right. white and black. That's so right. that is That's what, right. you know, the United States <laughs> contributed to, yes. to Panama's, one of the things. So I just want people to understand. The, the whites were paid in gold currencies. The blacks were paid in silver currencies. Wow. So it, it made you a distinction. It was a class. It was a racial and class division. Yeah. That uh, was 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 highly enforced. It was um, it was a segregational type of uh, condition that was uh, very very uh, negative to, yeah. to the blacks, um, because in addition to paying differently, the blacks who were given housing, but it's of course a lower class of housing than the whites would enjoy. Even then, they were charged rent for their housing, while the whites in a better class with a higher pay were able to live rent-free. So the whites that were here building the canal, and I'm just I'm just thinking of this now, where did they go? Where did they go? Did they all leave when, when Jimmy Carter turned it over? Or oh. no? Where are they? Oh. When, when the um when the well you need to think about the whites that were here when they built the canal right of course they remained they did not you could not get them to leave 
they remained, they took on the jobs and they, they kept because life was so good. Yes. I mean, you are not going to want to give that up and go back to working in the U.S. compared with um, competing with everybody else and dealing with the weather. They stayed and they enjoyed a cushy lifestyle all the way through into the 50s because that Jim Crow uh, condition remained even to then, even into the 50s. Mm -hmm. There was a high segregation. When they finally uh, implemented the treaty, when a well, it wasn't a treaty, not the, 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 the Carter, um, the Torrijos Carter Treaty, which uh, started to take effect in 1979. Mm -hmm. And it projected that for 20 years, they would have a transition period and the canal would finally be turned over to Panama in 1999, right. December 1999. So, yes, what you asked is what happened with many of them. Many of them opted to bail out because they, they left before they lost their cush <laughs> that they, they left before they lost their cush many of them because they figured many of them figured it would collapse in fact they without, without the american brilliance they, some of them some of them even probably may have hoped that it would collapse wow they left and you left with a gloat thinking that you know they're leaving and it's going to all come to naught because they're not here well, thank God uh, the yes. Panamanians were able to rise up to the occasion and they have done an extremely good job at managing the canal. Wow. It has become highly, highly profitable for Panama. That's it. And that's it has improved nothing. from where it was that's when the Americans had it to where it is now. So that is uh, it, a it's, a, it's, a, it's a source of great pride for yes. anyone that's Panamanian. Yes. And definitely a source of even greater pride for us West Indians mm -hmm. who know that we're part of the beginning of this whole enterprise. And then also we built a second set of locks and that's all Panamanian. Yes. So that yes. is another sense of pride um, to go to these places so and see that. So where were the second locks done? The, the, the second locks that were built are, can accommodate larger ships. Yes, Meaning, and some of the, the system is a, re, a recycled water, correct? Yes, that's that's right. They, when was that finished? Yeah. It was finished, actually inaugurated in 2016. July of 2016, it was open, finally completed. The, the work started back, I mean, they, they launched it off in, how was it, 2007, I guess it was, somewhere around 2007. Wow. And it was finally completed in 2016, inaugurated. And uh, it's been a boom. It's been a boom. In fact, um, uh, they uh, the demand that they're facing, uh, the challenge for that that locks is put them in a in a spot where they're saying, you know, we need to start thinking of what else. Wow, what's next? So, okay, yeah. now I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna fail this history test, but the original locks was done. Was it 1903? 1914. 19 1914. Panama became independent from Colombia in 1903, and they immediately signed this treaty with the U.S. to build that first set of locks. And so the U.S. came in in 1904 and started working, and the canal was finally completed in 1914. So that's when the first canal was inaugurated, August of 1914. Okay, y'all know you gotta keep me on track, okay? But I'm sorry, I, I, I gotta ask this question. So how do you feel 
the that Panama rebounded from the impact of the silver and gold role. Like, where do you see Panama now with regard to equal opportunity um, or discrimination or racism? What is your what is your take? Uh, you know, um, Panama was always not not saint in this regard as well. Um, there's no, there's no ascribing to them sainthood regard, regarding the race situation. Because back then when the United States was uh, forcing this type of Jim Crow situation, uh, Panama didn't object. In fact, Panama actually, because we had blacks who were here already in Panama uh, from the Spaniards colonial period, and we call them, you tend to refer to them as a colonial blacks, and they mm -hmm. spoke, they speak Spanish. And then for the canal construction, well, not just for the canal, for the railroad construction back in 1850, for the French attempt to construct the canal in 1880, and then for the US finally constructing the canal in 1904, 1914, um, they used Caribbean labor. They used black from the West Indies. And that caused quite a clash with the ones who were here. And, uh, and then, the, the that, local, there lies the there lies the divide between the, the there, there, there was there was a divide, was a divide okay then. and uh, and then Panama itself not just the, the Panama Criollos the the mestizos the the, the 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 European descendant portion of Panama they also uh we had one case where a president 1941 Arnulfo Arias actually brought in a new constitution that outlawed these black from the West Indies. They actually declared them as persona non grata. And many of them who had owned businesses at the time, those businesses were lost. And their children who had been born here suddenly found themselves in a void. They were neither from the West Indies and they were not given Panamanian citizenship. You said something, I think, and you probably don't even know, you said it in Spanish. And I want to make sure that everybody knows what you said. So they said persona gratis, meaning you're persona, not Panamanian. Persona, persona non -grata. You're not Panamanian you're, if you're black. You're, 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 not, you're not welcome here. You're not, you're not welcome. welcome. And so in fact, what the Constitution said, they said the immigration of folks who are of black, Indian, and Chinese. And, and by black, they had to distinguish it. Black that do not speak Spanish, to distinguish them from the ones that are here, you are a prohibited entry. You are not to enter this country. Now, what's also important is I think y'all got rid of him real quick. Didn't yeah, he was he was overthrown, and that constitution I wish was that, I, I wish we could take notes in the United <laughs> States because we need to do some overthrowing. Okay, but y'all got y'all came together as a people. Yes, yes. and got rid we, of him. There's a monument for him close to where Carmela lives. Balboa, close to the Balboa Union Church. His wife did that. That was, okay, you President. know, I, I, have, I have to shout out, I gotta shout out T.O. Jolly. T.O. Jolly is the best um, um, Afro-Panamanian tour professional in Panama I've ever met. And so much of what y'all are talking, I know about because he's on our tours every month teaching us all of this and I'm so proud 
Have you put in place the tools and marketing strategies that will drive the revenue and growth outcomes for your business? Are you looking to expand your brand and image nationally and globally? Commercials, podcasting, graphics, and marketing support are just some of the ways we can dress up your business for prime time. We are EliteConversations.com. To learn more about us, Check us out at EliteConversations.com, our website, email us at ecpodcastmedia at gmail.com, or call us at 301-900-5703. There are many people that need to know about the wonderful products and services you have to offer. Let Elite Conversations help you to get the word out. So you're saying, you know, it's not like Panama was an angel and, you right. know, not having its issues with racism. But how do you feel that how do you feel the situation is now? Um, one of the things that occurred, I guess, uh, after they threw that constitution out, after the blacks were able to settle in, especially the West Indian, because like I said, we had blacks, but not West Indian. West Indian groups were able to settle and they're mostly settling on working in the canal, working in the cities. Eventually, especially as they would capture that these blacks, and when they opened up the treaty, I mean, and you know, and they started opening these positions, you must realize that these blacks are representing Panama. These West Indians, English speaking, that are going to the canal, they're actually representing you. And so their success is your success. And so they began to embrace that as well. And so now you are you're Panamanian. Because you you have to you have to identify that you are not from the West Indies, you're Panama working. You know, it's it's a means of me embracing you in that position, and uh, so that began to work. And then they began to open up further, and several of the other Panamanians began to enter the canal. Of course, you're entering the canal and being trained by these black West Indians black in here, mm -hmm. and so they were they were key and instrumental in bringing on a development, the development of a culture that has permeated through the canal for all these years. And I think is essential. That's one of the things that is brought out in that documentary that we have about the canal apprenticeship program. 
we I feel that it is a lot is owed to those men and and women. Some women were there that came in and worked in those positions in those early days, proving that they could do it, proving to the world that you can take on these jobs and you can be good at them. And many of them were just super great at what they did. And uh, so that came in. But, but going a little further, um, you asked, you know, where are we now? And the fight, because the fight, even though the black colonials are here, they were discriminated against also. You're, you're not, you're not the, the, the West Indian descendants don't like you because you speak Spanish. They also consider you a lesser person. And so over the years, the Blacks, both the West Indian descendants and the colonials have had to merge. They have had to come together and bond in a force that is bringing about great changes in the country. And I can give you some examples. Uh, the big celebration that we have now of Panama's Black Ethnic Day. Uh -huh. Dia Negra. Dia de la ne Negra, that celebration, which began in 2000, that is the result of this conglomerate group coming together and forcing that, pushing that, moving for that. The idea sparked with a guy, Clara Richards, all the way from Puerto uh, Muelas um, in Chiriqui. But the groups here, got behind that idea and pushed it forward. Uh, it's the groups here that coming together have managed to prompt the government uh, to create what we have now as a secretariat of, of um, black uh, um, uh, affairs, basically. Senate. That's the secretariat for, uh, the national secretariat for Afro, descendants affairs and and so they're attending to both groups and so that office is, was created and then again that force kept pushing and though that office managed to get this office elevated to a position where it has its own independence that was just declared mm -hmm. by law uh, a few months ago and it's that office that has managed to push forward a census that is completely different from the census that was held in 2010 the census that was held in 2010 was project was, was saying showing as a result that we had only 9.7 percent of blacks Afro. in this uh -huh. country, Afros um, uh, identified. Now the result is we have 31.7 mm. who have identified themselves as blacks, and go deep. I, I, I think it, it, the, the significant thing we still have to wait to get some information that is I think is pending and I haven't heard it. Uh, uh, brought forward yet, because we have the results of how many blacks, thirty-one point seven. We have the results of how many Indian um, uh, oranges. There, seventeen point one, which gives a total between the two groups of a little over forty-nine percent. So then, my question is, when I take the Chinese and find their percentage, how much is left between the Criollos and the Mestizos? You know, and that group of the West, the, the, the European descendants that are here. When you identify, you're probably going to get that they are less than 25% each. So you're probably looking at the majority group being Blacks. Well, That's you know, my I, I, think, I think the key word here is identify. 
And I think that one thing that we, you know, have to embrace and understand and accept as African-Americans or Black Americans, however one decides to refer to himself as, is coming into, we're Black. In the U.S., listen, you, you can run around looking like me saying you ain't Black all you want. Everybody else is looking at you like you Bobo the fool, okay? But here, because there is no white white, that's why I said, where did the white people go? Because there aren't a lot. I mean, a lot of people that I see in Panama moving about, they're not white people. Everybody right. is melanated. So yes. it's just a matter of how melanated are you? You know, but in, 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 in the United States, it's like, if you're black, you're black. And most of us recognize that. But I think and I find in Panama that not everyone who looks like me identifies as black. And as far yes. as I'm concerned, that's your business. However you want to identify yourself is fine with me. And you know, well, part of the... Go ahead, Marsha, go ahead. Yeah, I also think that the census, that number is a higher number. Mm -hmm. And it's simply because they do not want to identify themselves as no. Afro, period. Period. Not yet. But at least yeah. now it's it, you have the option. That is what's important is that you have the option. And even when I say, okay, I came to Panama with a certain idea in mind. I came to Panama and I was gonna I was gonna be a sister like that's how I met Samat. Samat let me come in and tell the crowd of the group about sister locks. You know, because sister locks was not here, and I was gonna bring sister locks, and that was gonna be my business at the time. When I started down this journey, I knew there wasn't a strong enough, you know, soul sister, um, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud um, segment of, of Panama City, the area that I would be in, that would identify with Sister Locks. I could see what the sisters was doing here in the early 2000s, you know, the mid 2000s in, 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 in Panama. But I said, and I thank God for the Holy Spirit, who gives me wisdom and discernment and witty ideas. He said, Hallelujah. but that's today. Do what you do and trust that Panama will be embracing more of its mm -hmm. Afro culture mm -hmm. by the time you get there. Because this yes. was several years ahead of us of us moving. And then when I hear sending that and understand exactly for the first time, for the first time I understand exactly how important their position and role is yes. in this in this um the black culture here in Panama. I am grateful because more people are embracing their ethnicity here. And so whereas you you say, you know, a lot of people may not have identified on this first census, but by the next one, God willing, creek don't creek don't rise, they will be. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and Marsh is right, because um, I, I was able to uh, speak to some folks who, even within a family, uh, where um, the, the, the mother saying, you know, I am married to a, a West Indian descendant of what they would call, she says, they would call, refer to them as Caravali. And which means that they're a high brown, they're very light-skinned black person. Light-skinned <laughs> light-skinned black, black person and 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 then she is herself 
you know, Panamanian light skin. So their children are very light. But his mother, the husband's mother, is black. Mm-hmm. And so... Probably from Jamaica or somewhere. Very likely from Jamaica. And so the daughters, their children, they have a daughter and a son. And the daughter who embraces with great affection her grandmother, even with her light skin, she says, when they come knocking this door, I am black. But the son says, I am not. I am white. So within a family structure, you have one that's claiming and the other one is rejecting. So we still have, I'm sure, we still have folks who have not embraced it completely. But it's a big step forward from 9.1% to 31.7%. It's a great, great job. That is great. And it'll just get more and more. Oh, my goodness. I told you, see, this is how it goes. (laughs) This is how it goes. We we could go on and on. We got to get to the last part which is the gala. But I will tell you this. From the perspective of an outsider, I'm Black, okay? I am Black. And from the perspective of an outsider, you know, whatever the racist racism is here, it is very different than what I'm accustomed to, mm-hmm. okay? What I find is that here, it's not as much about my black as it is about my green. Yes. So yes. here, yes. the fact that I could possibly create an op or present an opportunity trumps that black card all yes. day long. Yes. Whereas in the United States, we're so obsessed with tones, yes, skin yes. tones. You know, even within the black community, like how black are you? You know what I'm saying? If you're too black and black and black, black, you might not get the job. They want to hire the light skinned people, the the whole brown bag stuff, the stuff that we even deal with within our communities is so intense. It is so intense for me. And I don't deal with probably the, the regular things that Panamanians, the average Panamanian might deal with. So I don't speak for everybody. I'm speaking from my experience. I have been seated at tables with people who would not have let me stand on their step in the United States. Yes. So I can say from my personal experience that racism, I am not ignorant to the fact that there is some of that here and I can feel it sometimes. Okay. And I know when I know, but more than anything, it's not, you're not so obsessed with it that it's going to, it, it's going to prevent you from doing business with me. It, it tends to be more subtle here. Subtle. It tends to be more subtle. And, well, I uh, think it's subtle um, depending on where, you, where you're at. Where, where you, you are. Live, yes. Yes. And what status, financial status, yes. they see you at. That plays a, a big, big part. role. The green. Because the green. When I go to the grocery store, certain places, I'm followed. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 upsetting sometimes, you know. And sometimes I call I call them out on the carpet, you know. Why are yes. you following me? You yes. know? I used to but, get that. Um, a, I used to get that a lot. I don't find it as much anymore. Um, you know, and I mean, I find a lot of I find a lot of growth in Panama since I started mm-hmm. coming here in two thousand four. I can say that. Okay, I'll say this. I feel like from coming here, the beginning, first time I came here was 2004. So I'm almost 20 years. 
being connected right. with Panama in some way. What I can say from my personal experience and being in Panama is that Panama is moving forward. Okay. Right. Unfortunately, from 2004, when I first started coming here, what I have to say about my home country is that we're moving backwards. 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 And that that's I can't be a part. I fought too hard to get to, we fought too hard to get to where we are to be able to 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 accept a situation when we're going in the wrong direction. Okay. And and that is why, and that is one of the reasons why I'm so happy that I that I'm here. You know, not to say that Panama is without issues. However, mm -hmm. comma, I love the fact that my forefathers and, and my hard work personally has allowed me the 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 privilege to make a choice. Right. I choose to be here at this time. And I wish my family would choose to be here too. Okay. So like I said, we have to come back for all this conversation because I'm telling you it's hot, hot, hot. <laughs> but let's get to the gala part. Talk to me about August 20th, the gala that concludes this amazing week that everybody's going to want to know more about after they hear this interview. Talk to me about the gala. Um, as I mentioned, Samap, you know, of course, had one of its mission is fundraising in order to do it's support work for the museum. And the two main fundraisers is the fair, the West Indian fair, that they have a big West Indian fair at carnival time. And that's a huge uh, activity. And then this gala celebration that culminates the week of Semana Canal, Know Your Canal. And so the gala is uh, actually a, a kind of a formal uh, dinner dance celebration. And in that, we honor, we always recognize four, maybe five of our community persons that have distinguished themselves over the years for one reason or another, especially trying to honor those West Indian descendants who have done well, and they would be good examples, um, good projections for the rest of the community to look up and try to emulate. So um, this year, the gala is going to be on the 20th. Uh, it's a paid event. Uh, the tickets are $55 per person. And we are honoring four persons, two ladies and two gentlemen. And uh, of the females, of the ones we're honoring, there is uh, one lady, um, Norma, Norma. Um, Lewis. Lewis, Norma Lewis, I'm sorry, went black. Norma Lewis, Norma, well, of course, they're all Panamanians. Norma Lewis is Panamanian born. But she has resided in the States for many years and done a lot of work there. But she has done significant work here with children. She's a real core at trying to ease the pain of children who are in poverty. And so over the last 20 years or so, she has been working with a number of children here in Panama and done an outstanding job in giving them opportunities that they probably would not otherwise have had. Then we have um, Francis Williams, Yearwood. Francis, of course, again, born in Panama, lived in the United States. But Francis is a lady that came back to Panama some years ago, uh, tried to check out her parents' gravesite buried in, in Corozal, saw it in a disaster, took it upon herself to canvas and get support from people both in the U.S. and here to launch an effort to try to rescue the cemeteries that are called the Silver Cemeteries. Those are where most of the West Indians are buried, Corozal, Gatun, and Mount Hope. And she has been doing a fantastic job in that regard. 
And she's one of those that will re be recognized at the gala. And then we have, um, we always have somebody from the actual Panama Canal workforce. We're honoring a pilot who is now also a port captain, Douglas Rodriguez, uh, born in the province of Bocas del Toro. So it's good to know that we are finding somebody from all the way over there. And uh, he is now uh, presently serving in the canal and uh, has also done some work in his community, especially in Bocas del Toro. And the final person on our list is Earl Holder. Earl Holder was the first black pilot in the Panama Canal. And uh, he came into the canal workforce, I think around 1980 or somewhere around there. And, uh, but he started working, Earl started working as a, a water boy, you know, at probably, I don't know how old he might've been, very young age. And uh, he moved up the ranks, moved in through the canal and up and eventually became a tow-up master, eventually became a pilot. And he was the first black pilot in the canal he retired several years after, of course, a total of 50 years working in the canal. But in addition, we're really excited about his celebration because God's willing, we're praying hard for that. He will celebrate 100 years in September. Wow. And so those are the folks that we'll be honoring at the gala on September 20th. That is awesome. That is awesome. And what a, you know, what an amazing culmination of, you know, of the celebration. And I love how, you know, you're uplifting and giving people flowers, you know, right now. So that's that's awesome. Thank you so much. I will have all of that information when I post these so that people know where to come to learn more about SMAP and to learn more about the events that are going on. We have to get ready to um, wrap up. This has been an amazing, conversation. But I just would like for one or both of you combined to tell me um, why it's important for people to support SMAP. Um, you know, why it's important for people to um, just be a part of what you're doing and uh, how they can. I'll go first. As a female. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's important because I want for people to know about the history of the Blacks here in this country. That is huge for me. And that's one of the reasons why I became a member of SOMA. I was asked if whenever I moved to Panama, if I would become a member because of what, whomever thought I could contribute. So here I am. The other thing that we're doing in conjunction with uh, uh, with Samap, is a fraternity, Alpha Psi fraternity. Um, they have a chapter here in Panama now, Alpha Panama, and we're doing an effort to try to bring Black history into the school's curriculum. Wow! And right now, we go to Cologne. We're using. Uh, one of the school, one of the high schools in Cologne as a pilot where we're teaching, um, we're teaching them um, different, different subjects. But the first one is about that we came before Columbus. Mm -hmm. See these kids' faces when they hear that the richest man in the world up to today has been Mansa Musa, which is an African 
hmm. back when. And what we do is that we ask... see my face. (laughs) (laughs) All right. One of the things that we ask them is, who do you think is the richest man in the world? Of course, they come up with Bezos and Gates and all these people. So I went on the internet and I said, Mansa Musa, in today's dollars, he would have had $15 billion. Wow. So if I'm not mistaken, that is all three of those rich people mm-hmm. combined and mm-hmm. how you know they did commerce there's a, a video of a of ships going back and forth back and forth that's all that we you know was done way back when before columbus even came here another thing that we teach is on whitening whitening of the race mm-hmm. that's a big one we teach them also about you know uh buying a house and so forth and so on so there's that effort and also senada is doing the same thing. So we'll get together. We did meet with um, Krishna Kamarena and something was signed, I think, two weeks ago about that, uh, getting the Black history in the school's curriculum. So I am beaming about that piece and hoping that folks will come visit the museum, support the museum, because there's a lot of work to be done. And most of us are up there in age so we need to get some of the young folks to come in yes. you know be part of it that way they can continue the legacy that was started back in 1981 so i want to say thank you for having us and be able to share our story absolutely it's my honor absolutely um go ahead Arcelio. You, you, well, you, um, you again i word. just want to say thank you also charlotte you know you have been key i, I met you coming to the museum, seeing the support that you've given, some app through that. And this is another extension of that support, even as you try to put a blast out so that other people, I mean, this will reach God knows how many people and yeah. they'll get to know about what Samap is doing. Samap is being, like you mentioned, it's been in its existence for years. It's actually the oldest of the Black groups here in Panama. And it's managed to maintain stability and, you know, steadfastness yes. over those years. And so... Even as I know that other groups have come up with their purpose and your their, their participation, Samap is 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 is, is important. Samap represents the stability, represents the, the the purpose, and it is it is one that has managed to get itself in the levels where it's respected throughout the entire governmental structure. Uh, so we we Marcia just mentioned it. We are we are we're giving we are actually campaigning. Uh, part of my commitment in in the, in the presidency is making us a, a heartfelt reach out to capture younger folk into the organization and get them participating. And uh, we're, we aim to do that. You know, one way or the other, we will do it. We have a few of them that are involved right now and they're doing great. And uh, we're, we're confident that we're going to get more of them into this program. And so thank you for giving us that exposure. And if folks, we, just so folks know, we have probably around at least about 250 members total for Samar. And no less than at least a third of those are in the United States. So living abroad does not prevent you from being a member of Samar and an effective member. We have, especially now that we're doing our meetings on Zoom, we have members from the United States that are connected and are part and are vocal and are contributing greatly to what we're doing here as well. So any one of them can be a part of SAMAP. 
you can donate both in your finances and you can donate definitely in your time. We welcome you, anyone that comes. I think that's a very important point to make because, they, I mean, prior to you saying that there are people, you know, watching and thinking, you know what, that's really good. But then when, when you let them know, actually, you can be a part of us from where you are. You know, that right there is um, is very powerful. Listen, I appreciate you guys' time. Um, of course, you know, I went over, my producers, they'd be like, girl, <laughs> it'd be good though. And you know what I'm saying? It'd just be good. So I just want to thank you guys for coming. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the pilgrimage and of course at the gala. And I'm just going to be there like a sponge you know, continuing. I'm so proud of just the history that I've been able to to learn. And I mean, I'm not, you know, a real Panamanian, but I'm so- but you proud. are. I'm so we embrace proud. you as one. Don't worry. I'm we embrace you as one. Saying, I'm an adopted Panamanian. Totally adopted. Totally. I'm, so, I'm so proud of just the way that you guys are preserving your culture and just moving it forward. It's more important than we really even realize today. You know, it's so funny because we do stuff and we just do what we do because that's what we feel like is the right thing to do. And we don't even think about it. But somebody said to me one day, and I do a lot of stuff and people always say, girl, you be doing so much. But somebody said something to me one day that really just touched my heart. And they said, do your grandchildren know who you are and that was such a hard compliment and it was such a wonderful reminder that what we're doing with these precious moments that we have on this earth matter and i thank you both that we have done something today that will forever be in the universe 20 30 years from now people can watch this and learn what you've taught us today so thank you God bless you, you all. We appreciate Thank it. I love you to pace it. Love you. Love you too. Be well. Bye-bye. Take care. And there you have it. I told you, wasn't that a good interview, y'all? You know, I really want you to look up Samat. That's S-A-M as in Mary, A-A-P as in Paul, dot com to learn more about them, to learn more about the West Indian Museum here in Panama City. And also, if you're in the area during um, the week in August that we discussed, please um, partake in some of the activities that are going forward. We are putting a group together of the Black expats in Panama, and we're going to go out and support the gala. Uh, I did have a few. Um, hard to get tickets to the pilgrimage, but those are going to be given out to um, our Beat Community Platform um, subscriber members. And so if you are a subscriber member and you miss those tickets, please stay abreast and keep on the page so that you know when we're doing promotions that are exclusively for you. So that will be on August 17th, the pilgrimage, and then you can join us at our table on August 20th at the gala. So with that said, thank you for your time. Um, 
Shout out to my main man, Daryl Spears, Elite Conversations Podcast Media. Thank you, Daryl. I did a, a class for him, a workshop for him um, earlier this week, and it was just great to reminisce and think about how long we've been rocking, man. And I thank Daryl because he is, was instrumental also in keeping me in the podcast business. And now, you know, he produces my radio show as well. So I'm um, thanking um, Daryl for that. I'm always giving a shout out to uh, Riley and Devin for giving us Blackset Radio so that our voices can be heard in the earth and, and be planted in the earth and forevermore. I mean, that is like so rich, y'all. And so with that said, I'm going to get on out of here. Um, I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite Bob Marley's um, in, in honor of the West Indian conversation. And it says, could, could the one, could you be loved? And um, that's one of my favorites. So I'm getting on out of here. Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Limbo, Glassboro, New Jersey. Right there on BlacksitRadio.com. I love you. I love you. I love you. And there's just nothing you can do about it. And don't forget, hashtag do the work, y'all. All right. Love you. Bye. Mm-hmm.